All right, all right, all right. Thank you so much for the gift, church. Um, yeah, Judy's not up here, but on, on her behalf, we're really grateful. And um, I, I don't think we take it for granted. And it's not just because things are going well in the church, but I, uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends who are in the pastorate who, who um, you know, serve in ministry. And it's not always a joy. That's sad to say. Not everyone in ministry does it because it's joy, but um, I think we can legitimately say we are very blessed and humbled to be part of this community, but also have a privilege to walk with all of you. So thank you very much. Um, very cool. Yeah, this is going to be fun today. Both services, we got baptisms, and baptisms are just a very public way for us to be able to see uh, the transformative work of Jesus Christ. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit from the book of Acts as we're doing this series called The Church and the Move. We're looking at how the church starts and grows throughout this, uh, this book of the early church. So I'm going to be jumping right into Acts chapter 9 in a second. You can start to turn there, but I think what's interesting here, as we look here, we're going to read about this man named Saul. And you might have known about him from his new name that comes later on. It's Paul. So it's this man, Saul, Paul. For some of you, if this is new, that's the same guy. Um, I love origin stories. And whether it's in the movies and, you know, sometimes it's comic book stuff, you find out how certain characters came to be. But I particularly like it in, uh, like, television series. Like, you know, if you're a Mad Men fan, for instance, you know, you find out, you get to know this man, Don Draper, and then a certain episodes, they, they do some flashback episodes, and you find out, wow, that's where he came from. That's fascinating as you get to know all these things. And I think well, as we look here, um, much of the New Testament was written by this man, Paul. And if you just read that, there's tremendous things. But when you find out his origin story, a lot of it becomes even that much more clear. You start to say, wow, I, I, I dig what he's saying here. So as we jump into this, let me pray for us as we seek the Lord's leading through this uh, word here. Lord, help us. Even as we sang earlier, uh, we need thee. We need you. Some of us, Lord, we know it. Some of us, we don't. But would you reveal to us how much we need you and reveal to us the good news of Jesus Christ through the goodness of your word? So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm reading from Acts chapter 9. And if you were, if you were here last week, we looked in Acts 7 and 8. Uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9. And we're going to... Yeah, why don't we, why don't we, um, I think it's up on the screen here. If you have your Bible, you can read along with me, but Acts chapter nine, starting verse one says, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus that if he found any belonging to the way men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. 
And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So. So if you remember last, we, we saw this persecution that occurred with this man, Stephen, one of the followers of Jesus, one of the leaders who ended up dying for his faith. He was stoned by the crowd there. And, and you saw the introduction, introduction of this man named Saul, who was there to witness it. And, and what you're reading here now at the beginning of chapter 9 is as the church has spread, as persecution has sent people all over the known region there in the name of Jesus, we pick up with Saul. And this is his origin story. So it's like he's gotten a taste of it. He's gotten a taste of, yeah, you know what? These heretics, these, these, this cult, we need to stop them. We need to wipe this out now while it's still early. So he went on a rampage in here. He's like, okay, we're going to go to all the synagogues, and we got permission. We're going to take this out. We're going to start to because we're good Bible-believing folks. He's a religious man. Really powerful stuff going on here as Jesus meets him on the way and blinds him. And ironically, even as he goes blind in his physical sight, spiritually, God gives him a vision to see this man named Ananias who's going to come pray for him, and he's going to be healed physically, but not just physically, in his soul. He is going to come to know new life through Jesus. And and it's, again, really powerful stuff. And as we look at this story here, uh, my desire for you is that you would find hope. I, I really hope as we're digging into this, you would find hope and that it would lead you to be want, part of, want to be part of God's plan to save and to help people experience new life in Jesus, those who are apart from him. And the thing is, guys, something we got to understand here, um, right from the bat, Saul's conversion, the transformation of this man named Saul, this is a guy who was totally, utterly, horribly hostile completely hostile to the message of Jesus. This is, Saul was not like someone who maybe, and you know, like some of us, our story, he's not someone who kind of started to check it out a little bit. He's like, you know, I'm not ready for that Jesus stuff, but, but there's something going on. So I'm going to step in. I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear more. Uh, you know, yeah, give me, give me that book about like explaining who Jesus is when, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I, that's not Saul. There was, there was, Nothing that we read of that was saying he was like preparing for this, that he was a seeker, that there's something with him that secretly was desiring to know. This is a guy who, as it describes, he was breathing threats and murder against the followers of Jesus. He was devoted. He was zealous for this purpose. I mean, Saul was a terrorist. He was a terrorist. He was ISIS. Out to harm and kill people who followed this way. It's what drove him. And, and it reveals my sense of humor probably a little bit as, as I look at this. Um, but man, I can't help imagining what poor Ananias is thinking through all this stuff. Like this poor dude is like, what, God, you gave him a vision of me? Really? It, you couldn't have chosen anyone else to be a vision? It was, it was me? And I'm supposed to go to him? Yo, these terrorists, they're smart. <laughs> 
they're sharp. They know that they can get like sleeper cells and, and kind of invade and come in. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm blind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, this is a, this, he's trying to pull one over on us. Seriously, you want me to go pray for him? Lord, I've known what he and his cronies have done to my friends. These are my, these are my brothers and sisters they've harmed. Seriously, you want me, you want me to pray for him? Um, I, I'm imagining he's thinking this can't be legit. Because they know Saul. They know his reputation, right? As it describes here. I've, I've heard about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. In verse 14. Here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Uh, Lord, that's me. <laughs> and you, you, you tell me to go right to him. And guys, this is the p- amazing part. This is who God will miraculously save. This guy. ISIS. Terrorist. Evil man. This is who God's going to save here. And I am a fan of wisdom. I mean, you might not think I'm wise, but I'm a fan of wisdom. I'm a fan of learning. I like reading. I like learning more. I like school. I like education, particularly as people who follow Jesus. I think it's important, actually, that we read more and more. We nourish our minds, our souls. And, and I like this, and I think a lot of you reflect this mentality. We're currently in an age where many of us, we don't just want to be people who say, you know what, we shut off our minds to follow Jesus. It's just all about emotionalism. It's all about kind of being caught up in this feeling uh, and just come to this thing week after week and kind of you just do whatever everyone, sing the songs, even though you don't know what it means. I, I really think most of us, you're like a fan of learning. You desire to grow. You want to know why you believe what you do. You don't want to be a mindless clone. Perhaps because it brings up bad memories of mindless clones who told you to be a mindless clone. You don't want that. So I think that's a good thing. If, that, if anything, I believe we should be studying more. Um, but as much as I think it's important for us to use our cognitive abilities, use these big things in our head called brains, I think it's important to do that. I think there's a danger that's present there. Um, maybe just as much as people who turn off their brains. I, I think the danger is... Um, It's easy if we just approach the Christian faith from what we can learn intellectually. Um, It's very easy to forget that the nature of what's going on is spiritual. It's miraculous. It's kind of insane. I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Some of what we believe as Christians, if some of you are students at one of these universities, right? If you do your presentation and they say, you get to talk about anything for five minutes. How many of you are going to get up, stand up in front of like your medical biology class and say, I am so glad you've given me these five minutes because I get to testify that the God of this universe knew everything before any of us were born and he's created us. He knew and now every part of our being is found in his purpose and he's made, and he knows what's going on. He made, you love those rainbows and stars. He made all that. You would be like, okay, I believe that, but I, I can't say that in front of people because they're going to think I'm a lunatic. They're going to take back, they're, they're going to keep my tuition and kick me out. Um, I remember um, there, <laughs> back in like our first year of church, we had um, some kids and there was one, one girl, she was not, not quite a teen yet and she was in our Sunday school and it was Easter time and I remember hearing a story that she was taught, yes, what we're celebrating in Easter is that there's man, this man named, his, his name was Jesus, but he's actually God, he's sent from God, the son of God, he came as a man, he, he grew up, but then he died on a cross I mean, it's so sad he died. But guess what? Three days later, he came arose. He became alive again. He came out of this grave. Isn't that fantastic? That's what we're celebrating. And I remember her response was like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about what we believe. 
it's kind of crazy. It's kind of miraculous. Um, But I think the danger in a lot of our Christian circles is that we've lost sometimes a healthy respect and a desire for the supernatural, for things to happen that you and your rational ability that you say, I don't have words that can just explain what happened there. I, 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 my brain is not big enough to wrap around what just, what just happened here. No one's going to believe that. And, and I don't want you to mishear me. Don't mishear me. I absolutely believe that you can study the historicity of this Jesus as found in the Bible. I believe that external evidences, whether archaeological, historical, all the, I don't think they're going to contradict the Jesus you find in scriptures if you do your studying. I think you can absolutely affirm. And we affirm that there's valid historical evidence of Jesus. But here's the thing. Historical evidence will not convert a dead heart. No matter how much good historical evidence you throw at someone, that doesn't convert a dead heart. Here's what does. It's the lame guy who can walk. It's that person in the Bible who couldn't walk, who couldn't see, who was dead, and suddenly they can. Because you can debate someone's theology till you're blue in the face. You can't debate that guy that uh, he, 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 he couldn't walk. I, I know Holmes. He, he couldn't see. He was blind, and now he sees. You cannot debate the power of God at work because the power of God can move in the most hardened heart. And what we see in Saul, it's a reminder for us that God saves what you and I call unsavable. God saves the people you and I, we brand them and say, oh, they're beyond hope. Oh, man. You know what they're addicted to? Do you know their family history? I know their mama and their grandmama and their grand. You, you, oh, I mean, we believe in a powerful God, but not that powerful. And we don't say that, right? But that's what we believe. God loves to save those you and I consider unsavable. Lost causes are found in him. I mean, it, praise God, right? Our God, I love this about our God. He does not just save the kids who grew up on the right side of the tracks. Amen? He, he, he don't just save, save those kids who came from the good end of town. Those, those kids who had good mommies and daddies who loved Jesus, who got those beautiful little children's Bibles and read it to them every night. And prayed with them and prayed for their salvation. He doesn't just save kids who went to the Awanas. And some of you are like, what's Awana? It's better you don't know. He he doesn't just save them. He doesn't just save the kids who went to the VBSs, the vacation Bible schools, or, or the youth camps or Bible camps. He doesn't just transform the hearts of those who abstained from things like premarital sex or, or drugs or alcohol. How do I know? Because that's a lot of us. (laughs) That's a lot of us right here. Because a lot of us didn't come from the good side of the tracks. Some of you did. Praise God. If you got a mom and dad who raised you to know Jesus, you should thank God for that. But I also praise God that many of us didn't. And yet we sit here as evidence that God will save those who everyone else might say are unsavable. Amen? And I'm grateful to worship a God like that because we're experiencing, even in our own church, that cognitive ability, is, it's important. It is important to learn. I'm not saying be a mental midget. I'm not saying that. You should learn. Soak in as much as you can. But ultimately, that combined with the grace, love, and mercy of Jesus is what transforms a dead heart. And, and here's where it brings it to home for us. As you read this, as you hear the, read this dramatic story of Saul being transformed... If, if God can save Saul 
a terrorist, ISIS, it means he can save anybody. Even those whose lives seem like they have nothing to want to do with Jesus Christ at all. And, and I mean, another thing about Saul, when we look at his transformation here, is that he, he experienced this change. I mean, it was dramatic. He went from someone who was out to kill and imprison Christians dramatically. He was wrecked by the gift of God's grace. And guys, I mean, if we're going by what's, what we read here in the scriptures, it looks like it was totally unexpected. It doesn't look like there was something that, like, steps here. It, was, it seemed like it's out, out of the blue. Like, in a moment, something happened. Boom, he went blind. Boom. something changed. There is no historical or biblical evidence here that that Saul was secretly like a seeker. It doesn't seem like he was like a Nicodemus, if you read back in the book of John, like who was secretly going to meet Jesus. It doesn't seem like that's who Saul was. I mean, it doesn't seem there was any like preparatory work, like he was reading up some good materials to learn more about this Jesus. And I mean, all of a sudden, it looks like out of darkness, there's light. And, And I think what we can learn for our church is... I mean, at the village, we very much affirm, and you know this if I talk with you, right? We always talk about that this is a, these, this is a journey. I mean, we could have chosen a cool name like the Journey Church, but there's a lot of them already. No websites available, right? We could have chosen like uh, the Journey because we affirm that there's a journey involved here. There are steps. And, and for many of you, that's been your life in Jesus. There have been steps along the way. We totally affirm that. But, but I'm trying to be very ultra crystal clear here. Um, Steps are great, but there doesn't have to be steps. Amen? Steps are great, but God doesn't need steps. There doesn't have to be preparatory stages. It can just be a heart that's grabbed by the grace of God in an instant. God can work in that way. Why I share that with you here as you're sitting here, especially maybe you've lost hope, um, don't lose heart over those who seem to have absolutely no interest in Jesus at all. Don't lose heart for those that you know that seem to have absolutely no interest, desire. They're actually vehemently opposed to the name of Jesus. Don't don't lose heart over that because you don't know what God is doing. Stages of hope are great. Steps are great. But God is God. He don't need that. (laughs) He doesn't need that. Don't lose hope that God only needs a holy moment and I guess for me, I believe that from the scriptures, but I've also seen how God's used that um, in, in my life as he's given me opportunities to minister. And I remember um, just, I've, I have the opportunity now to do different public speaking and preaching at places, and it's fun. But I remember when I first started out, man, I was a wreck. And one, because, you know, so people ask you to come preach, and you're like, I've never preached before. I don't know what to do, right? So I, I remember going my first youth retreat to ever preach, and I was like, first year seminary. So what that means, you got no sermons, Right. And this, this, is, this was a crazy Korean church, winter retreat, four days. I was supposed to preach 12 times. I'm like, 12 times? I mean, can they handle that? Uh, well, it doesn't matter. It's in the schedule. That's how we do it. I'm like, okay. Um, that was like the least restful retreat I've ever been to as a speaker because I didn't sleep one week because the whole time I'm not speaking, I'm like writing out sermons in the hotel room. <laughs> Because I didn't have any, right? I'm like writing it out and I didn't have a printer, so I'm scribbling it out on like paper and crazy. It was just insane. And what I remember, this was a church about like 200 youth. Um, it was like the hardest retreat I've spoken to. This is like the kids, they were just, they were basically there. So they, they were, um, it was a New York City church and a bunch of young thug wannabes, right? They're not real thugs, but they want to be thugs. And all acting all hard and everything and giving me that look while you're pretty, 
Like the whole time, um, you know, going out during breaks, trying to find bad stuff to do, and you know, macking on girls, macking. Did I just say macking? You know, um, just like crazy stuff. And like I'm preaching my heart out, and I don't know if it made any sense because I'm just, I, again, I probably wrote it like half an hour before, but I'm preaching my heart out, and there's like, because oh, they're up all night playing cards. And like at a, at a certain point, I just got mad. Like I was still a little unredeemed, so I was ready to like throw down with them. I'm like, okay, if you're not going to listen, we're going to go out and fight because, you know, I'm mad right now. You're disrespectful. I'm like, again, God's done some good work in me, but I was like mad. And I remember the last, the last uh, worship gathering we had, I got up there. And I just, honestly, I had nothing left. I was like, yeah, y'all are here. I don't know why you're here. If you need Jesus, that's all I'm going to say right now. And I just stopped. <laughs> and I prayed. And I'm like, we're going to do an altar call. And in my heart of hearts, I remember saying, God, I have no words that can do anything to change these kids. I said, Lord, you've got to do something here. Otherwise, we're, this is a big waste. These people are going to ask why we invite this fool. And I remember... And I said, everyone close your eyes, you know, let's pray and ask God to speak to you. Ask God. And I said, if, if, if you're sitting here, and I know you've been here all week and it's been a big, like, waste, but, man, if you recognize that you're broken, you're a sinner, and you need Jesus to save you right now, don't look around at anyone else. I'm going to ask you stand up right now and come to the front and let me pray for you. And I, and I said, amen. And I said, if you want to do that, <sighs> Like 50 kids, like the worst kids that were there, these young thug wannabe dudes. They stood up and they just rushed to the front and, and they were like, you could tell they were confused what's going on because they just start, they were bawling as they were praying to God. They're saying, we're so sorry, God. They, I mean, they were genuinely repentant and I'm saying, I'm trying to pray for them. And it's like, there's not enough me to pray for them. It was just, it was crazy, but it just reminded me, you know what? Yes, steps are great. Ministries are great. Classes are great. But don't diminish the power of God to work in a moment in a sinner's heart. Amen? God doesn't need this. God can work in a second. He speaks through a donkey. (laughs) That should humble every preacher. God, our God speaks through a donkey. He's, he's like Shrek, right? He's speaking through a donkey. And, and we put so much of our hope in it. We need to set it up well for it to happen. Yeah, work hard. Set it up well. But ultimately, God's power can change someone in an instant. We look at it and we see it in Saul. And that should give us hope. Be some of you, you got family. You got friends. You got neighbors. You got classmates. You got, you got coworkers. That your desire for them is to know Jesus and all you do when you look at them say, man, I don't think anyone, anything's ever going to happen with them. They hate Jesus. They think I'm a fool. Pray for them because you don't know what God is doing and what he can do in someone's life. So we also see in Saul's conversion here, I mean, just a lot of lessons, but another one here. I mean, we see an amazing picture of kind of the sovereign nature of God's grace. What I mean by that, that God's in control, and in, as he's in control, he gives grace. And this is really key, guys. You've you got to hear this part. You've got to know God is not responding to something that Saul has done to reach out to him. You, you get that, right? He's walking along this road. His intent is not saying, you know what, let me take a prayer walk because maybe God will speak to me then. Prayer walk to Damascus, and if, if God doesn't speak by then, then I'm going to go hurt some people. That's not Paul, Saul's intent. 
he has done absolutely nothing to reach out to God, God is not looking down and saying, oh, good little Saul. You know, he's trying to do good things. You know, I've been waiting for him to get his act together. Okay, finally, I'm going to throw him some grace now. I'm going to give him a little blindness first, but I'm going to throw him some. Um, No, God is not responding to Saul's goodness in any way. He is just saving him. Not because of Saul. Actually, in spite of who Saul is, God is saving him. And this is really key. And and at our church, we try to express this really strongly. Because sometimes, sadly, you might even hear differently in different churches. But I don't want you to fall into the trap of this kind of performance-based Christianity. That rather uh, relying upon the grace and mercy of Jesus to transform you. That, that you have to do something for God to accept you. That you got to be good enough. you got to get your act together. you got to clean it up. Because God's love for Paul, with Saul here, has nothing to do with his attempts to be good. It obviously doesn't have anything to do with him being good. This is an evil, disgusting man. I know that's not politically correct to say that about anyone, but he is. He's an evil, disgusting, hard-hearted, dark-hearted man. If you heard about him on CNN, you'd be shaking your head. Me and my wife, every day now, that's what we do when we watch WJZ at night. <laughs> Can you believe it? Man, what's going on with the people? Come on, wow, people are, wow. That, that, well, that's what you do if you're reading about Saul here. He, he was a terrorist whose goal was to kill Christianity, and that's why we call grace a gift. Because in the midst of that, Jesus steps in and saves him. So, so we got to be really careful, guys, un- unless we think, Man, got, got to get better so Jesus will love me. Or, man, got to clean up this area of my life so that God will accept me. Man, if I could finally get this habit under control, then God would finally be pleased with me. It's not your obedience that makes you right. It's God's mercy and grace that makes you right. Amen? It's not your obedience that makes you right. It's God's mercy and grace that makes you right. I want to caveat it here because some of you are, and I can tell in your eyes, you're getting really excited. Um, this doesn't mean you go nuts. <laughs> you got to hear the whole thing, right? It doesn't mean you go nuts. It, this doesn't mean Christians gone wild, right? The, the, the goal of this is not to say, woohoo! <laughs> I can't do a single thing to make God accept me, so I'm going to go crazy. That, that, that's very poor application of the sermon today. Because <laughs> the Bible is, is actually very clear about this question and Paul himself writes, right, should we sin more so that we'll receive more grace? Because some people were asking him that. You know, if, if it's true that God loves to give grace to sinners, shouldn't we just go out and sin even more then? Because then we'll get more grace. Two plus two equals eight, right? No, 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 no. Um, I mean, it actually seems to say you're damned if you do. If that's your mentality to Christian life, you actually probably don't have it. And I'm going to suggest here, and I want to be really mindful, and you, you need to hear me com- clearly here. Um, I think that if someone can think and act that way, that it doesn't matter what I do. I can live whatever because God's grace is going to be given. I'm going to suggest that if, that if that's someone's heart, there's a good chance that the Spirit of God is not residing within them. No matter how many times they walk down the aisle at church to say, I, I, I accept. If your heart's desire is that there's absolutely no sense that I want to live for God, that I, I, I'm, I'm repentant of my sin, you might want to ask yourself, do I really know the Jesus of the Bible? And, and I want to say on that note to some of us, very lovingly but very clearly, um, if you see that in yourself, if you, if, you're, if you just kind of been playing with God, if you've been saying, well, the pastor told me, you know what, it's, I can't do anything, it's all about Jesus, 
and, and you seeing just a no desire in your heart to want to live for God at all, you might not genuinely be a follower of Jesus. This is not to scare you. If you are genuinely a follower of Jesus, don't start getting all condemned and say, oh, man, I, I didn't love Jesus so much last night. I, no, no. There's called wrestling. <laughs> That's part of the journey. Wrestling is good. Actually, wrestling, if you struggle with your sin and you want to do well, but you're not, um, I'm going to say, actually, that shows me there probably is evidence that God resides within you, his spirit. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't care. But there's a desire for something better. But take a humble look at your heart, at your soul, and don't be fooled into believing that you're on the right path if you're not. No matter how many times you raised your hand at a revival meeting or received the invitation or how many times you went, took communion as a kid and the, and the, and the pastor or the priest told you, oh, yes, now you're a Christian, don't fool yourself into believing that you're on the right path if maybe you're not. Because even for Saul, I mean, Saul, he was a religious man. I mean, yeah, we're talking about ISIS and terrorists, and you might think he was some, like, crazy, like, wild-haired, like, fire in his eyes, not thinking. Saul, if you read about what he, how he described himself, was a very learned man. He was very rational. He was very religious. He was actually very pious. One of the descriptions we find of him, and in, in, um, it's not up on the screen, but Philippians chapter 3, he describes some of his credentials. And he says uh, in the middle of verse 4, chapter 3, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What he is saying is, I was a good kid. I'm a good Sunday school boy. You think you obey the law? You ain't obeyed the law like me. If Saul was in this room, we would all be making him a Bible study teacher because he knows it much better than we do. And he was zealous about it. That's why he was actually out hunting Christians because he thought they were aberrant against the word of God. And for some of us, Sometimes there's temptation to hear these messages of, oh, Jesus loves you no matter what, how bad you've been, or he can love a terrorist. And we start to think this message is only for those people who've been like train wreck types. And I say that affectionately, right? Like life is going to really bad. Jesus is hope for you. But Jesus is also hope for those who've led to straight and narrow, straight laced, done everything we're supposed to, but have not done that to follow Jesus. Because that's such a path of destruction as much as the train wreck. But Jesus can also transform that heart. And I would guess for a lot of us, that's, that's us, right? That's our story. Wherever we're coming from, we look at Saul, that in the midst of Saul's story, I love the detail of Saul's conversion and God's instructions for him. I love how he was blinded. And sometimes we think, and sometimes if you're watching TV late at night and you hear Jesus talked about by some preachers, it sounds like God's only desire is to make everything like roses and champagne for you, and you're going to be floating on bubbles ever since you follow Jesus. And follow him. If your life is crummy, follow Jesus. because He's going to make everything great. Um, no. Uh, sometimes God will make you blind. <laughs> sometimes God will make you blind so that you would see, I need to see in Jesus. I love how God instructs him. 
go find this man Ananias. Have him pray for you. And, 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 and as Ananias is kind of pushing back on God, never, never a good idea, um, said, no, he's going to be our messenger to the Gentiles. And the way God spoke to Saul in that very dramatic moment, it, may, it might not be like how it's happened to you if you're a Christian here. And the beauty of salvation, it can look like so many different ways depending on who you are. Often God will reveal himself to you based on how you're wired, how you need to hear him. But the one common thing, when we look at Saul, man, this violent, this hateful man is saved in such a way that God fundamentally changes everything about him. Saul became a man who wrote, he became this man, Paul, right, who wrote about 75% of the New Testament. Most of us, unless you're uh, ethnically Jewish, most of us are in this room because God saved Paul and sent him as a messenger to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Paul took this message of grace. He went to Rome and Spain and other places where the message of Jesus literally went around the world, starting in small ways, but went all around the world. And you and I, sitting here, Village Church, 2016, Baltimore, we are a product of Saul's story and the power of God's grace that was given to him. You and I, we are evidence of Saul's story into Paul, that all of our past can be wiped away and forgiven that our present struggles can be covered by the grace of Jesus and that our future can be secured in him. If it happened to Saul, why can't it happen to us? And I want you to receive hope in a couple of ways. Amen. Amen? I want you to receive hope in a couple of ways. One, if you're here, if you're a follower of Jesus and your heart is heavy right now, your heart is heavy because you know that there are people in your life who are not followers of Jesus, right? Whether they're family, friends, roommates, coworkers, neighbors, I-, I hope you can receive hope in this way. Don't lose hope on the people in your life. Keep praying. Keep loving. Keep serving. God doesn't need a whole lot of time. God doesn't need circumstances to take place. Don't believe the lie um, that all that is true is what can be seen reflected in the mirror. Don't believe the lie that everything is true is only what you can see reflected in the mirror because God has this weird kind of mirror vision where he sees things that are actually not the accurate reflection at the time. He sees what could be to come. You need to see with eyes of faith because throughout the Bible, and if you're new to Christianity, you might think the Bible is a a book about all of the stories of all the heroes. The crazy thing about this book is all of our heroes are zeros. All of the heroes in this book, they're like messed up, jacked up in every possible way. There's one hero, Jesus. And that's why the whole book just keeps pointing back to Jesus. That's hope for you and me. And it's hope for the people in your life that you might have be thinking even right now, say, there's no hope for them. That God can work an instant. That we don't just try to convince people in their brains. I mean, again, doesn't mean that we're morons. Don't be a moron. That would be a good bumper sticker for our church. Right? Don't be a moron. But we're asking God to do something unexplainable. We're asking God to do something that's unbelievable, so don't lose heart over the people in your life. But for some of us here, and and again, I hope that's applicable. For some of us here, the word that you need to hear this morning is not to lose hope for others, but also not to lose hope for yourself. Don't lose hope for yourself because the person who's far apart from God might not be all those people out there that you're thinking of. It might be you. Maybe that's you sitting here right now. You feel like, You're far apart from God. And the word I have for you is 
don't think you've sinned too much. Don't believe that you will ever out God's love. And I am like an Olympic caliber sinner. <laughs> and, I, and I, in my life, have tried to outpace God's grace by my sin. He's just too good. He keeps catching me. I mean, I wish I could. I mean, not I wish. I mean, there were times in my rebellion I wished I could outrun. I can't. I cannot out the love and grace of God. The power of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is far stronger than the power of your rebellion, as good at rebellion as you might be. Amen? That's hopeful. That's hopeful. I invite you to trust in Jesus right now. For some of you, that means you're a Christian, and you need to say, Jesus, remind me of the salvation I have in you, that it's, it's by your grace and your mercy and your kindness. I couldn't earn this. Help me to live now in the way you've created me. For some of you, it means that you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean you haven't been to church or haven't received communion, all these different things, but you haven't fully said, I trust Jesus to be my righteousness, not my righteousness. I believe I'm a sinner, and I needed Jesus to forgive me through his sacrifice. If that's you, I want to invite you today, trust Jesus with your life. Stop running and say, Jesus, I give you my life. The amazing thing about God's grace is that um, it doesn't force anyone to love him. It doesn't force anyone to love him. The way God moves is he woos our hearts. He, he cultivates this affection in our hearts that leaves us unsatisfied for anything else that the world can offer. As we learn more and more about him, we're like, man, how could I ever even try to settle when God has made himself available, God has poured out kindness and mercy when I was not kind or merciful. God has forgiven me when I don't deserve to be forgiven. When I've done things that embarrass me, when I've done things if they ever project on the screen, I would run out of here horrified. When I've been there, how, how, how could I believe and want something else than this God who knows everything about me and yet all he does is give me himself? He woos our hearts. And I'll, I want to invite you to that. So can I ask you to bow your head for a second? And we're going to hear a, a real story of God's grace in a minute as we get into going to baptism. But I want to invite you to take this message for yourself. And can I ask you as you sit here before God, um, just, just take some inventory. Who's Jesus in your life? How have you viewed his ability to transform you and transform other people? And maybe the biggest thing God is trying to do today is restore hope in you. Hope for other people, but also hope for yourself. And to know that the grace of God is sufficient. That means nothing can conquer it. And for some of you, maybe that's the first step to say, I, I want to know God. I want to know God. I want to know him through Jesus as the way he is known. So take a moment and just pray that, however you might be coming to that this morning. Heavenly Father, um, as we, as we come before you, uh, we, we need grace, Lord, because we are people, the longer we spend in church sometimes, the more we can kind of settle into this performance-based kind of Christianity that doesn't really bring life. But help us as we listen to the story of this man, Saul, who became Paul, that we would find hope that that same grace is sufficient for every single one of us here. And Lord, as we right now prepare to hear a story of a conversion of transformation, would we be overwhelmed by your grace as well? Reminded that's available for every single one of us here. So help us, Lord. Not just a message for everyone else, but even for us here, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.